Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 10. I am Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are happy to be back, returning for another week of our Halloween reviews, our Halloween month. This has been a really fun one. I've been enjoying this one an awful lot. Yeah, me too. And uh, we're picking it right up with The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. It's a very interesting pair of films. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the history of them in just a little while, but first we're going to give the synopsis for Mr. Toad. Then we will review it and give the synopsis for Ichabod, because we do want to respect both stories, as even though they are packaged together, they are two completely separate stories. Right, and that was Walt's original intent, was to develop them both into features. Not sure why that didn't happen, but... They do kind of pair well together. Yeah, they do. So Mr. Toad, this is a really, really fun movie. Mr. Toad is an eccentric... Uh, nowadays, he'd be a billionaire, but I, I assume at the time he's sort of a millionaire. This was turn of the century, and he's very um, frivolous with his money, and he has the badger, who is a friend of his, uh, friends of his that acts as his bookkeeper, and of course, he's got Ratty and Mole as well, and they really want the best for Mr. Toad, um, but they're afraid that he's going to spend all of his money and lose his estate, Toad Hall, which is like the most impressive estate in the country. This obviously being a British story. Um, at the time that the movie starts, you know, Toad spends money on things that he's completely obsessive, uh, obsessive about. He starts with being obsessive with the horse-drawn carriage and Cecil uh, Proudbottom, is the name of his horse, who's also his friend. And they're obsessing over going as fast as they can, but then Toad sees a motor car for the first time, and he has to have it. So he he, he ob obtains this motor car and then gets arrested for driving a stolen car, but he swears he didn't steal the car. He, he purchased it. And he goes to court, and he gives his story, which is that he saw the motor car, outside of a tavern. He went into the tavern where a group of weasels who own the car struck a deal with him where they would trade the motor car for Toad Hall. And he actually makes that trade, which is irrational that you would trade an entire estate and a home for just a motor car, but he wants it. And Mr. Toad gets what he wants. And he calls in Mr. Winky, the bartender, who was there when they closed the deal to give a testimony. Now, Mr. Winky falsely testifies that Toad stole the vehicle. Toad goes to jail. He appeals his case. The courts keep finding him guilty. He keeps spending time in jail. Uh, Christmas time, Cecil breaks him out, uh, disguised as his grandmother, actually. And they get out of jail, and while they're running from the police... Badger and Ratty and Mole eventually reconvene with Mr. Toad as Toad goes to their house on Christmas Eve and find out that Badger did his homework. And they, they concluded that Mr. Winky was in on it the whole time with the Weasels. The Weasels, I believe, were driving a stolen vehicle, which they then traded to Mr. Toad so that they could get their hands on Toad Hall and run amok. So uh, eventually they break into Toad Hall, they steal the deed back, they go back to the courts, the courts overturn their decision, and uh, Mr. Toad and Badger and Ratty and Mole live happily ever after in Toad Hall while the Weasels and Mr. Winky go to jail. I think there's a rule that says that if the film does not open on a book, we don't review it. <laughs> I know. I made mention of it last week and I was like, no, there's not that many. It's just our film selection. But I'm starting to think that there are way more than we realize that open on books. I think it's just that that old era of original Disney movies. Yeah. It must have been something that he enjoyed a lot and something he kind of had a thing for. Because it, it, with the exception of Enchanted, that did it as a parody, they they did stop doing it with sure. these book intros. The only difference is this wasn't the blue uh, velvet. This was uh, panning through a library in live action. 
Right. But it did kind of work for the transition between these films because you had to tie them together. In spite of the fact that I've seen this movie a hundred times, for some reason, every time I see at least Rat and Mole, I think of Disney's Christmas Carol. Yeah. You know, Mickey's Christmas Carol, because they pop up in there. And I guess it's because I, I watched that movie as a kid before I'd even seen this. So it's just, that's my association with them, more so than this movie. Right. I I thought it was um, from Great Mouse Detective. Like, to me, Rat reminds me of Olivia's father. Yeah, they're very similar. Um, but it's not necessarily a cameo later on. What I like about this movie there I mean there are a lot of things I like about this film in you know in totality but what I like about this portion of the film is that it's very British it's that quick wit very sophisticated uh, dialogue even though it is slapsticky but it contrasts so well to that classic Washington Irving US Ichabod Crane story that it does feel like you're watching two separate movies, but they do tie together cohesively. I just, I love that, that US, UK kind of tie in. I, I just think it was really well done. Yeah, because at first I really couldn't figure out why it almost seemed more like a mashup than, than a pairing, but it does flow very, very nicely. I think that they did a nice job of catering to both audiences and you kind of gave at least kids at the time, a taste of the two different cultures and, and how they present media. Sure. And they're, they're classic stories. So the way that they told them to gear them towards kids really works as well. Toad reminds me of Arthur, of Dudley Moore's Arthur. That's perfect. That's kind of what I was thinking. I, I kind of think of him as like the eternal bachelor, but specifically Arthur that is absolutely perfect yes and let's be specific about something it's Dudley Moore's <laughs> Arthur not the remake oh come on Russell Brand did good Russell Brand did a good job and I was actually very excited when they cast him because I love Arthur and it was a movie that I thought could stand to actually be remade and when they cast him I'm like that's absolutely perfect that movie was so bad yeah, it no. was so bad. It just didn't work. Helen had, Mirren couldn't even save it. That's the thing. Like when you have Helen Mirren in a movie and yeah. it stinks, it's bad. Yeah, it was just awful. Anyway, S save <laughs> save save the dollar in the red box, folks, and save an hour and a half if you get it for free somewhere. It's just not worth it. Go watch the original. Um, but back to this, the animation still very clean. Mostly, you can see where. I don't want to say they went cheap on it, but you can see where they didn't have some of the detail that even some of the earlier films had. Sure. I mean, I love the look of Toad Hall. I think that, you know, the first time you see it, they paint a really pretty, literally paint a really pretty picture of the countryside. But it's done as a wider shot, so you really don't get all the details. Um, but that's one of those things like when you watch a classic film like this I kind of I don't want to say it's passable because it's not that it's bad but I think that because we grew up on in the Little Mermaid generation we notice things like that more because we started getting the computer animation a little bit but there were things that were in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs that I thought looked better than this film. Oh, that's interesting. And that that was 1937 versus 1949. Mm. This film being released in 49. I just felt that some of the details here were a little lacking. Some things were a little washed out, but that's neither here nor there. It is still, for the most part, very good. Um, Toad is a lot of fun, and the others are just really great straight men. Yeah. Trying to just keep him tied down, and they can't do it. And... I love the song Nowhere at All. Like, it just surmises Toad perfectly. Yeah, it actually kind of reminds me of a Muppet song. Yeah. Because they say we're merrily on our way to nowhere at all. And some of the other lyrics are, you know, those repetitive, they'll say the same thing twice, but kind of mean it to 
make it mean different things. Um, and it just, to me, it was reminiscent of the Muppets, which came way later on. Yeah, and I think when you really look at, when you really listen to the lyrics, and it is so like carefree and go with the flow, and I'm gonna do whatever I want. It's obviously we know about Toad because they've told us about him. They've kind of given us a little hint and a little backstory as to what he is. But this is the first time that we really see him, and. This is an example of a song, and we've seen it. Um, it's funny because you see it more often with monologues in films, and mm. we've talked about that a lot. This is not a monologue, but this is a song that does an excellent job of giving you his full introduction. You know exactly who Toad is after you hear this song. Right, no, it completely fleshes out the character. Mm -hmm. He takes nothing seriously, and I absolutely love it. Like, he's just a big kid. Yeah. Like, He's just, he's never going to grow up. Um, there were things that I picked up on too, like the prayer at Christmas. We go back to prayer again. Right. You know, we saw it in um, in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and I love it because it is just so telling of the time. Yeah. Um, and I think that the drunk weasels are really funny, but it's, 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 it's a bit outdated i feel sort of the same way that the prayer in the film does date the movie because they draw direct attention to it they're like oh they're drunk and i yes. don't really know that they would do that in a film nowadays because they're so sensitive to not influence children to do anything <laughs> well it's not just the drunkenness it's you know, between the breaking the rules, the deceit, the jailbreak, and the guns. Like, for me, the film is not dated. I was watching this and I was like, this would never, ever fly now. And it's no wonder they ripped the ride out of Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is funny because that was my first ever introduction to Mr. Toad. I had not watched this film. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. All I remember is that the first time I went to Disney when I was like seven years old, being blinded by that bright light of the train with my mother, we had no idea what was going on. And then that's like the very last thing of the ride and then you're out the door. Um, and I didn't watch it until much later on because just from the ride, I really didn't have a lot of interest. The ride just kind of messed with me a little. Right. I'm guessing this was the train that Toad stole during his escape. Yes. But it, it on the ride, I don't know if you remember, it comes at you. Yes. So it's just like the blinding headlight of the train. So I I only went on the ride twice before they closed it. And, you know, it's been nearly 25 years since I've been on the attraction, which is why I am so excited to ride it again. Yeah, we haven't talked about this yet on the podcast. We're going to Disneyland next month. We're going to Disneyland next month. We're so excited about that. We'll we'll talk about it in the coming weeks, but it's our first time ever for both of us going to Disneyland. Right. Um, so as we lead up, uh, obviously, we'll talk about it more. Um, it's another classic Disney snatch and grab. Yes. It's a snatch and grab for the deed. <laughs> And I, I, it's, it's just funny to me because you see it again it, to a lesser extent when you see the adventures of Ichabod. Yeah. That was another thing. It's like the blue velvet book. They had a thing for those snatching grabs. They did. This one was so much fun though. I mean, we had talked about it, um, in one of our earlier reviews, uh, the jungle book, but I feel like that was so much shorter and this sequence of snatch and grab was so much longer because I think there was a lot more to do with the weasels, but there were so many more tricks in this one. Uh, you know, they're making paper airplane. They make a paper airplane of the actual deed itself to try and pass it like a football to each other and get the deed out. Um, so then Toad makes a bunch of decoy planes and he's just pitching them at the weasels. Um, so I thought that made for a really funny sequence and, one of the greatest sight gags in that sequence is the uh, the mirror. They're all kind of heading towards a mirror, which looks like a long hallway. It's reflecting a long hallway, so you don't really know until they crash into it. But the animation in that part is brilliant. It's such a great sight gag, and, and it catches you completely off guard. 
And I thought that the Weasels, I, I talked about how they were fun when they were drunk, but I thought that they were just fun in general. Like, that was a really interesting choice to go with Weasels. I mean, uh, they have the association with being kind of greasy and dirty, but to make them these, like, low-level gangster types... yeah. I thought was really funny. And now that we've watched it um, recently and we've watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think that those weasels were absolutely influenced by these weasels. Oh, totally. It almost like recycled. Yeah, it was close. Um, I don't have a ton of notes on Mr. Toad, except that I I still enjoy it. I think that it's it's a good little short. I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's hard to really talk an awful lot about it because it only runs about a half an hour. Right. You know, this was a theatrical release, but it was not a full-length 90-minute feature. I mean, it's full-length in that it's an hour long, but, you know, it definitely... I, I think that if I, if I were to have um, a wrap-up on it for me, and I don't know if you have any more notes on it, but... I thought that they did a nice job of taking the wind in the willows and condensing at least that portion of the story into a half an hour sequence where I don't feel like they left a lot out and I don't feel like they left a lot of loose ends. It was kind of a simplified story, but it made sense and it didn't jump around much. And I feel like I got told a full story. I feel like this movie is pretty jam-packed. Like, I feel... Like we kind of not glossed over it a lot, but there are so many details in this movie. Like you really have to be paying attention to what's going on. Like to me, I think this is over a kid's head a little bit. Um, First of all, you know, you have the narration throughout and I felt at some parts that was a little bit lengthy. Um, I think you kind of needed it to explain what's going on. But I also think at the same time, kids are going to be bored with that because in contrast, the rest of the film is so action-packed. Like, you know, we were just talking about the snatch and grab, but even, uh, you know, with the with the motor car and there were, you know, a couple of sequences, I just always felt like there was just so much going on in frame. I think that that was, though, done stylistically because, as I said before, they were condensing everything. Right. And I think that's what led to it being fast-paced was because for all intents and purposes, they were kind of rushing through it, but it never really felt that rush to me. It just felt like they were putting a lot into a very short period of time. Right, because, you know, you have from the beginning, when McBadger is doing Toad's finances, you get the angry mob at the door. Then there's the whole police chase when they break out of jail. Like, it always just felt very frenetic, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily in a bad way. Right. Um... But I uh, I still enjoy it, and I think well I'll 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 save it till the end when we do a full wrap up of the movies whether it it holds up or not. Um, but there was only the one song, and it was a quick one. But I this this didn't need a lot of songs. Like this would not have worked as a musical the way that Ichabod Crane does work, kind of more in the musical vein. Yeah, I feel like if you put any more music into Mr. Toad, it would have felt way too forced or it would draw attention to the fact like, okay, stop, we're going to do a song now. Where they had um, On Our Way to Nowhere, it, it was perfect. It worked. Right. Um, do you have anything else to add on uh, on Mr. Toad or are we ready to go to Tarrytown? No, let's get to the real Halloween movie. Yes. Um, so we transition to uh, now the uh the adventures of Ichabod narrated by Bing Crosby um and Bing Crosby is absolutely perfect but um plot here you you open up in Tarrytown Ichabod Crane is the new schoolmaster who has moved into town and he's assuming the role of educating the children and he's this wiry lanky very awkward looking gentleman um and the townsfolk are very uh, interested in him because he looks so strange. And obviously they're going to be sending their kids off to this very weird-looking person every single day. Um, and he has this very odd charisma. Like, by no stretch of the imagination is he an attractive man, but people are attracted to him um, because he is very savvy. Um, so he comes in and he 
he's in the schoolhouse and he runs at the beginning a very tight ship. And he has an obsession with food. So he's constantly looking in the baskets of the children to see what their mothers have packed for lunch because that's how he's going to determine whether he's going to be very nice to the child or exceptionally nice to the child, judging on whether their mother is a good cook because apparently in Tarrytown, there are no fathers. Um, <laughs> that, that was my takeaway. Um, and he's constantly... Um, getting women to getting women to swoon over him, and he's figuring out ways to go on lunch and dinner dates just so he can keep keep himself fed, so that he can stretch out his meager salary, as they pointed out. Um, while he's out on a date in the park, he sees Katrina Van Tassel, the daughter of the very wealthy um, Mr. Van Tassel, who owns Baltus. Baltus Van Tassel, who owns a farm. And he is smitten with her immediately, as is her posse, <laughs> for, all, for, for a lack of better term, because she's just followed by men all the time who will do anything that she wants. And she's flirting with Ichabod because she's clearly trying to make Brom Bones jealous. Now, Brom is the uh, the manly guy in town, and he has all the friends, and he's well-known, and they drink beer, and they have fun, and they play jokes, and they hang out. My, um, what a guy that Brom Bones. Mm-hmm. So, um, Brom is now upset because Katrina's plan worked in making him jealous and he's got it out for Ichabod. So he tries at every turn to sabotage Ichabod so that Katrina is no longer attracted to him. So while on Halloween night, they're attending a party and Brom Bones tells the story of the headless horseman to scare Ichabod Crane before he leaves for the evening. And he does a very good job in doing so because he saw that Ichabod was a very superstitious person. You know, he spilled the salt through the salt over his shoulder, so he knew he could hook him. And while riding home that night, um, Ichabod does encounter the headless horseman, and he crosses over the bridge. After he gets over the bridge, the horseman throws the jack-o'-lantern at Ichabod. The next morning, Ichabod's hat is found, and they sort of have a very ambiguous ending where... The townspeople believe that Ichabod has perished and was taken by the Headless Horseman, but there is a rumor that Ichabod has left the county and moved in with a wealthy widow, and he had a family. So the the ending to that movie is sort of up to you for your interpretation. I'll give you mine in a few minutes, but uh, in short, although I kind of just did the entire thing as they did because the whole thing was short, that was the premise of The Adventures of Ichabod. And obviously uh, drawn from the Washington Irving story of Sleepy Hollow. Um, so I'm just going to come out and say it. I really don't like this Ichabod. I love the character that Irving wrote. But I really just didn't find anything endearing about Disney's Ichabod Crane. I guess for me, I grew up with the movie. Now, the first, I mean, I had watched this movie on television, but where I have an association with this movie the most is we talked about that trip to Disney World where I rode Mr. Toad for the last time. And that was in the early 90s. And my birthday is in October, and we went down to Disney in October. So we went to Price Club. A lot of you call it Costco, but back in the day, we used to call it Price Club. Um, and they used to have $5 VHS tapes. And we didn't stay on property. Um, when I was a kid, we stayed off property. Um, this particular trip, we were going with um, extended, you know, an extended party because it was more family than we would usually go with. So we had rented a condominium and we had a couple of bedrooms and we had a VCR in our bedrooms. And we knew that. So my mom had taken us to Costco and said, pick out, I want you to pick out two Halloween movies that you can take with you to Disney World. And we picked The Great Pumpkin and Sleepy Hollow. Now, when it was released on its own, it was Sleepy Hollow. It wasn't The Adventures of Ichabod right, Crane. Right, right. So I grew up watching this. When you compare him to, say, like Johnny Depp's Ichabod Crane and the Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow, which I think is sort of a more... That follows the story a little bit more, with the exception of Ichabod Crane is not a detective 
Right. He's always he's always always been a school uh, teacher. Right. Um, I think that that Ichabod is a little bit closer to the book, whereas this draws a little separately. But maybe it's just because it's what I grew up with. But I don't have an issue with this Ichabod. In fact, I think that he's actually very smarmy. And I like how conniving he is because, as I said to you before, they allude to the fact that he doesn't have much money. In fact, I believe he was living in the schoolhouse um, because teachers didn't get paid well back then, or at least that's what the movie leads you to believe. Um, He is not an attractive man at all, but somehow he's able to get the interest of all these women around town who are taking him out on dates and feeding him because he's got to spread his money out and he kind of just knows how to do it the right way. Like he's actually very, very smart, smarter than they give him credit for. Um, And I think that it's downplayed as to how intelligent he is. See, that's what I really don't like about him is that he's so contradictory. Like you think he's going to be this lovable geek and that's why everybody embraces him and wants to help him. But he's kind of a schnook. Oh, he absolutely is. I just, it, it's just so contradicti- contradictory. And then he tries to be this suave ladies man, but he's shaking in his boots because of the horsemen. And I really did try because I do love Johnny Depp. And I thought maybe that it was because I was so hung up on Johnny Depp's portrayal that that's why I didn't like it. But I was able to separate the two in my head. Aside from the fact that Johnny Depp is not a school teacher and he's a detective, the way that he played Ichabod as like this scared child almost where like everything he played him like Chucky from Rugrats where he's just scared of everything yet he deals with blood and that was the irony of that version of Ichabod Crane and that's what made it so funny I couldn't find anything funny or endearing about the contradictions of this Ichabod I like that this Ichabod is such a cartoon character though like that's where these two films are different from other Disney movies in that I do believe that these are more male driven movies because there's no castle, there's no princess. Like there's a big difference between this and some of the other classic Disney films. Mm. But this is a very cartoony film. They're both slapsticky and very cartoony and I feel that this Ichabod lends himself well to that animation and that story. Well, I feel like that is where these two films tie together is that you've got these essentially these people that really embrace the bachelor lifestyle because until Ichabod falls in love with Katrina, you know, he's just trying to figure out where his next meal is coming from. And to do that, he'll either, you know, I don't want to say flirt with these other women, but like, you know, he'll try and court them or he'll favor the kids. And Toad just loves spending all of his money. And I feel like that's where the connection is between the two of them is because they're just looking out for number one and they don't really care about what else happens. I I think that Ichabod was more comic relief than he was anything else. And that's why they sort of portrayed him the way that they did. But it's interesting that you mentioned him falling in love with Katrina. He does love Katrina, but it's twofold. There's mm. the physical attraction to Katrina that draws him in. But what seals the deal and what he can't forget about is she's got money. Yeah. And he's going to get that money. It just circles back around to his motivation for everything that he does. Oh, yeah. And that's that was a big question that I had take you know to take away from this film was does did he really love her or was it lust and he really loved her dad's money i think it was both i think that's why everyone kind of sought after her yeah let's actually let's talk about katrina a little bit because and it's interesting that you said that this is such a guy's movie because really katrina is the only female in this movie but the way that she is portrayed is completely of the time because a lot of that you would never ever get away with now um when we first meet her they sing a song about her it's it's kind of like a narrative song to introduce the the character and um they refer to her as plump 
which yeah i have that written down too. yeah back Pl- in the plump is di- a partridge yes plump is a partridge um but back in the day that was a sign of wealth because you were well fed so where that may seem like horrific to say about a woman now it, it's not as much of it's not as demeaning as as it sounds to us now no but somebody will take offense with it and run Oh, for sure. And it's, but, but it, it is exactly what you said. That's what determined your wealth. Mm. They're not pointing this out to put her down. They're pointing this out because that's how they determined whether these people had money or whether they were peasant people. Right. Look at how skinny Ichabod Crane is. Right. He has no money and he has to worry about how he's going to get fed. She doesn't have this problem. She's well off. That was a determining factor. We can't rewrite history and edit out the bad parts. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm not ripping into it. I'm just saying that would never, ever hold up now. Exactly. But even worse than calling her plump, they call her a coquette. And that's... It, that's kind of der- not derogatory but like back in the day like that's that's pretty bad i mean yes she's flirtatious and yes she's putting it out there but it's not something that you wanted to be called back then and i will leave it at that you're right in for most people but katrina came off as the type that for me, she knew what she was doing and she wouldn't mind people calling her a coquette. The way that we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about um, uh, the Yabos scene in um, Hocus Pocus and you were like, I feel like... Um, that Allison's Allison... used to having her Yabos talked about. Yeah, I mean, that's it. If you don't want to talk about, don't put them out there. Right. And I feel like Katrina knows exactly what she's doing, but she gets off on the fact that she's got men chasing her. Right. But I'm just saying like historically... That was a bad word back then. Correct. You're right. I think as far as the character goes, she's kind of playing into it a little bit. But that's not a name that you wanted to be called. Right. It's not a name that you wanted to be called, though it seems like she almost embraced the fact that she was because she knew exactly what she was doing. Right. Almost like she didn't care. But you're, cor- but you're right. The, the language of it certainly could not be used today. But I will say that song, the music along with the animation is very classic Disney. Mm. Yeah, it almost felt like um, a little, which is interesting because you talked about that Mr. Toad is the British film and this is obviously a U.S. story. But to me, that song felt like Alice in Wonderland and 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, yeah. you can see where those films drew influence from this. And it is amazing how that Disney style, and we know there is absolutely a Disney style, um, whether they're modern classics or forgotten classics, because I do think that this is a forgotten classic, mm. they all kind of circle back around to having that feel. And, and, and whether Walt was still alive when they made these films or not, they still have that feel and they still have that character and I think that's why people are drawn so much to these movies, which is why I encourage anybody who hasn't seen this to see this movie Um, because if you like Disney, you're going to like this movie because it's comfortable, it's familiar, it's something that you know. Right. Um, Speaking of, let's talk about Brahm. Yes, it's, (laughs) it's amazing that we have the same exact note and upon research, um, we were justified. Brahm was the original Gaston. Yeah, and what's really remarkable is that he doesn't just look like Gaston in the animation. I mean, you can see it right away, but even just the character, like when you were talking about him in the plot, that's why I said, my, what a guy, that Brahm Bones, because the way that the town rallies around him and he's kind of like the guy, the one that everybody gravitates toward in the tavern. Um, But also, too, the fact that he's not just courting Katrina, it's like that creepy Gaston way of like, I've got to have Belle. And like, like she's a prize to attain, which I mean to Gaston, and we will talk about this in much more detail when we finally get around to Beauty and the Beast. Gaston is a hunter. This is just like another trophy to him. So the way that Brahm is pursuing Katrina, um, I think... It, it does kind of parallel that. I think it's just another victory for him. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because 
when I compare Braum and Gaston, without getting too much into Gaston, because that'll be a review for another day, I want to punch Gaston in the face. I want to drink a beer with Braum. Like, I actually do like Braum. I wish I hadn't chose that moment to start drinking coffee. I like Braum, actually. I don't find him to be dislikable, because with the exception of wanting to beat up Ichabod Crane because Ichabod's looking to steal his girl, he's not really doing anything that bad. He's not an inherently bad person. He's arrogant, and he's popular, and he definitely shows off his physique. He's physically imposing. Yeah. But, listen, if if I looked like Dwayne Johnson, I'd probably, you know, play up on it, too. Like, I just don't find anything that Brahm's doing as being that bad. No, you're right. Um, I agree. Spoiler alert. I can't stand Gaston. Like, ever. There, there has been nothing redeeming about him, no matter how many viewings. He's a good character in that movie, but I don't like him. Exactly. At all. Yeah, Brahm is likable. And I, I think what redeems Brahm is uh, when he sings The Headless Horseman. I love that whole sequence. I think that... Um, so what happens is that... Um, they have a party at the Van Tassel house and obviously the whole, the whole town is there and Ichabod is dancing with Katrina. So Brahm in a last ditch effort to win back his girl tells the story of the head, headless horseman, but it's a musical number and he's really playing it into Ichabod's superstitions when he explains the tale of sleepy hollow. Yeah. It, uh, it's a fun musical number because the music is great. The lyrics are fun. The animation is spectacular. And watching yeah. him kind of dance around that room and he draws everybody in and he's just got them hooked, uh, I thought was really, really well done and, and a lot of fun. They almost, I mean, like, he's a big, strong dude, but when he's telling this story, I almost feel like they kind of make him bigger than life, the way that that sequence is animated. Like, I just feel like he's towering over them, and it kind of, like, reinforces the scare, which I thought was really cool. Especially with the way that they played with the shadows. Yes, that's, yes, in particular what I am thinking of. Because there's a fireplace, and they keep showing his shadow, and you're, you're right, the way that they animated it, and the way that they had, you know, for all intents and purposes, the camera aimed that shadow stands out to be, as you said, larger than life. Um, to touch one more thing on, on the Gaston comparison to Brahm and, and Bell to Katrina, yes, Gaston is a creep that's trying to take Bell as a trophy and she has no interest in him, but when I look at Brahm and Katrina, I look at like the captain of the football team trying to date one of the cheerleaders. Yeah. You know, it's like there's clearly a mutual interest there, She's just playing hard to get, but he's not used to not getting what he wants. But in this case, he does because they do end up together. Yeah, at the very end, after uh, after Ichabod is is taken by the horsemen, um, but they they get married. So so really, Brahm's Brahm got what he wanted, and his plan worked. But was he taken by the horsemen, though? That's what we have to talk about. But I want to talk. I before we do that, we didn't talk about the Ichabod Crane song. When he arrives in town. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's do that. It's very funny. It's very clever. And I guess because Bing Crosby is singing it, it's just so telling of the time. You don't hear music like that anymore. Yeah. Like very small. I said the very clever lyrics. They're very funny. And just they're very which sounds stupid because they're words, but they're very expressive. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that kind of sounds silly, but go with me on this one. They get very creative in the way that they describe almost the entire physical build of him, of his body. Mm. Like they, they very detailed in a way. And I feel like music today, with the exception of some of the modern Disney classic songs, let it go whether you've gotten tired of hearing it or not it's a classic and it is a really well-written song i just feel like music in general whether it be disney or or something you hear on the radio i think music is very simple now it's very basic and i think it's very bland and very boring oh yeah i think that songwriting as an art has taken a uh, has taken a total hit, and I I feel that by and large, 
the product is just not very good anymore. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned it before that both of us got our start. We met working in radio, so we're kind of purists when it comes to music. Um, yeah, I, I rarely listen to new music that's coming out today, unless it's like alternative rock. I I can't listen to new music. But it's like, you know, there's there's that meme of, you know, Freddie Mercury wrote Bohemian Rhapsody and like how many people did it take to write the Beyonce song? Right. And there's and what was it? Girls Rule the World or something. What was the song? And it's got very, very basic lyrics like it's got less than 30, like less than 30 words in the song. And it took seven people to write it. Oh, I thought it was single ladies. I think they've done it with both. It, it but the point be, I is, I, again, the, I don't listen to Beyonce that much. Right. The point is, obviously, they're generational for a reason, but these musical geniuses don't come around anymore. Although, amazingly, seem to come around less, li- less. <laughs> they're they're less likely to find than they used to be. So, what does that say about songwriting versus what does that say about the audience? Right. And um, Bing Crosby, as I said before, was perfect. He's iconic. And the way that he sang this song and the way that it was written for him um, was just classic. It's classic Hollywood. It's classic Disney. It's classic pop culture. What this song accomplished was, without Ichabod speaking a word, drawing more than just a narrative, as if somebody's reading from a book, this is another song very similar to Nowhere at All, where you take a minute and a half, you sing a song, and you paint the picture for exactly who that character is. For me, it's not just the words, though. I mean, it is a great song. I do love Bing Crosby singing it. But it's also the visuals that accompany it. Because, you know, you see him, he's walking through the town with his nose stuck in a book. And much like Belle goes through... uh you know, the streets of France, but um, he's dodging, you know, he's about to walk under a ladder and he walks around it. A black cat crosses his path and he gets out of its way. So it does paint that very clear picture of how superstitious he is. And he's not spoken a word yet. Right. So you know exactly who he is. So the whole, I love the whole sequence. It's like the perfect match of audio and visual the biggest thing though that strikes me during that um that number is that you know we talked about how we were surprised with mr toad uh how many adult themes should we call them right uh that they they put in that movie like breaking out of jail and being shot at by cops um in this shot they're all hanging out outside of the tavern which is called Ye old schnooker and schnapp shop, which I love. Yeah, I it's so clever. Um, it was just one of those little touches that made it a lot of fun. Uh, but Brahm and his guys are hanging out outside of there, and they do the shot of when Ichabod is approaching them through the beer stein. So Brahm's got the beer stein up to his mouth, and then they put the camera, if you will in the glass and you see through the bottom of the glass Ichabod approaching as the beer level gets lower and lower and lower it's hilarious to me yeah it's 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 it is so funny but the the song what what's incredible about this and I don't think it should be glossed over similar to the song we hear in Toad we we talked before about how they sort of condensed these stories to fit them into half an hour shorts, right? And what both of these songs accomplished is helping in, you know, uh, push that story along in a very quick manner. Mm -hmm. And you didn't need a lot of time to intro these characters because these songs existed. Right. The songs ended, we're like, we know exactly who it is, move on. It was very, very well done. It was very strategic. It was very smart and very well placed. And I feel like... Back in the day, they used the songs to introduce the character more than they did to push the storyline. Like we talked about how in Little Mermaid, you know, when it gets to part of your world, how 
it defines what Ariel is going to do next. We have no idea what Ichabod's going to do. We just know who he is. So it's interesting that they they use these songs as more of a narrative mm-hmm. than a monologue. Um, I do want to talk about the animation in this portion of the film more specifically towards the end where we finally have the encounter with the headless horseman oh yeah this is the meat and potatoes um did you notice when now when ichabod is in the he's he's riding his horse through the wooded area and there's i I would find it hard to believe that they didn't do this intentionally but ichabod looks up at the moon and oh, the clouds so that surround the moon and close it, it's a hand. They do it twice. Yeah, they they, sh- they show it again, that recycled animation. We saw recycled animation twice in this film. Once was the moon, and the other one was where Ichabod pulled um, the lid off of the turkey, and he smelled it, and he just looked up, and he smiled. Mm. Um, you know, in the scenes where he was eating. So twice we saw the recycled animation, but... That always creeped me out, even as a kid. But I think it does a really phenomenal job of showing that it's not just you being superstitious. Like, something is happening. And something beyond this world is closing in on you and shutting the lights off. Oh, wow. Very symbolic. That's what I was. Um, These animators, and Walt Disney specifically, they did nothing by accident. Oh, yeah. No, everything is intentional, especially especially on the part of Walt. And the Um, fact that it's a hand. It's a hand. It's it's very subtle. It's the clouds in the shape of a hand, and it it's underneath the moon, and it kind of swoops up. It's not like it's completely closing over it. It's it's not like, you know, I don't want to paint the picture for those that haven't seen this, that the moon is getting, like, snatched out of the sky. It's just, like, some billowy clouds, but you can clearly see five fingers, and it kind of, like, washes up over the moon. Uh, but it's so cool. It's so beautifully done. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Any haunted house that you go into, other than somebody jumping out and screaming at you, what scares you the most when they reach for you? Yeah. The the whole notion that someone or something is trying to grab you and possess you is a very uncomfortable feeling. And I think that's why it worked so well that they used that visual, and that's what starts the scene. Yeah, and it, it plays so nicely into the rest of the effects that they use to drive the point home. And it really does create confusion because you don't know whether or not this is in Ichabod's head or if it's really happening until the last possible second. First of all, my question is, he's been walking the entire time. That's his thing. He walks and he reads. Where did this horse come from? Well, they said he had borrowed a horse from somebody to take to the party. They did say it. It was a quick throwaway line. I know, but he's walked everywhere before. I mean, I know you need it for this scene, but like this whole time he's been walking and well, be- now all of a sudden he's on a horse. I thi- Well, I think it was because of the occasion. He's going to the Van Tassel house. He wanted a horse. They said it. He didn't want to just walk there. Because right. remember, he's trying to keep up with the Joneses. All right. And he doesn't have the means to do it. And the horse that he's got is completely pathetic. It's actually a nice contrast of him because... It's not a big, strong horse. It's like a very lanky, skinny, weak horse. It's it's and him it's falling in animal asleep. Form. Yeah, it's him in animal form. Yeah. Um. All right, I will give you that one. But um, so he's on the horse and they're walking through the woods, and you start hearing, you know, the frogs croaking and the birds chirping, and they're all either saying Ichabod or they're saying Headless Horseman, or he's coming. Yeah. Get out. Um, so it's all that, that scene is amazing to me. Like that scene to me is even better than when Snow White is in the woods and everything's trying to grab her because this is more subtle. Mm -hmm. And then he believes that the horseman is chasing him, but it ends up being the cattails that are, um, the wind is blowing them. They're bouncing off of that, that down tree, that log. But it sounds like a gallop. Yeah, that, that was really cool because then you do accept expect to see the horseman behind him so it kind of lures you into this false sense of security that he's going to be okay and then he's going to make it out and when you're least expecting it the horseman does come for him 
Yes. And the the more subtle snatch and grab, and it's not so much a snatch and grab, is they're riding back and forth and they're chasing him. And at one point, Ichabod cracks his head on a uh, on a low tree limb. But rather than just get knocked off the horse, it kind of hooks under his jaw and it flips him. And as he's flipping, um, he lands on the back of the has uh, the horseman's uh, horse. And he turns and he looks at his and the horseman turns to take a swipe at him and he ducks and then when he comes back up the same limb hits him again he flips again and goes back on his own horse and takes off but constant back and forth and the horseman is just trying to get to him with the sword and he has a couple of really close calls yeah and as we said before he crosses over the bridge because Brom told him if you cross over the bridge the power is over and the horseman can't cross and he doesn't so what does he do he throws the jack-o-lantern at Ichabod and it hits him, and they don't find the horse, they don't find Ichabod, all they find is the hat. So, herein lies the question. What happened to Ichabod? I mean, the fact that they never found the horse again, I guess is supposed to imply that this was all true. I think it was Brom the whole time in order to finally seal the deal with Katrina. I think Brom drove him out of town. I think he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that maybe that's the ending that I want, is that there is the headless horseman and he did get him. But I do believe that that's exactly what happened. You mean he's dead like Snow White? No. He's dead, Snow White's alive. No, she's not. Go back and listen to our episode and our <laughs> review of the... Um, of the, uh, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and you'll see how we we differ our opinion on that. Um, no, Ichabod's dead. That's that. I really do believe so. You mean to tell me he was killed by Jack O' Lantern? I think he was killed by something not of this world. Okay. L- let's let's pretend you're right. Let's pretend we live in the world where the headless horseman is real, and. He gets, they both get to the bridge. Ichabod crosses, the headless horseman cannot. So he takes a flaming jack-o'-lantern, launches it across the bridge, which I don't even think Drew Brees could pull this off. He launches the jack-o'-lantern at Ichabod. And we don't really see what happens after that. But I have to imagine, even if you're able to make this throw and hit the target over a bridge... Over that distance, I don't think it's going to do much damage unless Ichabod caught fire and because he's so awkward, he didn't stop, drop, and roll. He just made it worse and burnt him and the horse alive. That is the only way he's dead. And that's why they never found him is because he's ash. Across this street, through these trees, (laughs) through these bushes, (laughs) through this disgusting screen... Remember something. Obviously, Disney is not going to show someone having their head lopped off with a sword. So they, they have to kill him somehow. Gunfire in Mr. Toad. But they don't show death. They can't show somebody getting decapitated. See, but even that is a weak argument because they, they don't show death, but they kill off so many parents. And I, this is what you don't go for. But I'm I'm just saying the argument is even if he made the throw, how... How could he have possibly killed him? And we're not even getting into the physics of this throw. You're going through a bridge. So, it, you know, it's a covered bridge. So the trajectory that you would need to hit Ichabod, you would need to arc the pumpkin. You're throwing it through the bridge. There is no way. Have you ever seen Gary Sheffield throw a baseball? There was no arc on that. That was a frozen rope. We have brought way too much science into this today. Which is why Brom drove him out of town. Um, final analysis on both of these films. No, you can't just final analysis me. There's no way. There is no way. Well, I, I don't have anything else to... Re- I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. They left an ambiguous ending to the movie. It's up to you to determine it. It's not like Snow White, where she where lived happily dead. ever after. Another full circle movie. This movie intentionally leaves it with no ending. And they leave it up to you to determine. Brom drove him out of town. Okay. 
I think that these movies are still very good. I think that the animation's good. I think the stories are fun. I think the characters are great. I think the music is great. I think it's appropriately placed. Neither one of these had to be a traditional musical. The the one movie did well with one song. This did really, really well um, with three on the on the Tarrytown story. Um, and with the exception of a few lines that that do date it, and maybe that doesn't hold up. Um, that aside, I think for the most part, the movie does still stand the test of time. Um, I think that these movies are underrated, and I think that they've been too easily forgotten about. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is no longer at Walt Disney World, but I, I, it's, it's my feeling that these movies have fallen by the wayside, and I think it's a shame. I agree. Um, I'm curious to see how Mr. Toad is over in Disneyland. Like I'm I'm interested to see like what the wait times are and like if the ride is like really embraced or not. Um but as far as the films go, I mean, The Tale of the Headless Horseman, does it stand does it hold up? Absolutely, because this is a story that keeps getting retold in some way, shape or form and it's going to be retold for years to come. Um, as far as Mr. Toad, what I would actually like to see, um, and I, I don't necessarily think that we need one, but if they were going to do anything, um, I'd love to see Pixar take a crack at it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be an interesting, I think they'd have a lot of fun just, you know, I mean the, the fact that he is a toad and you know, he bounces and, but just what they were doing with the motor car and then that it ends where he's got the obsession with the plane now. Um, I just feel like they could do so much with it. Almost like, um, I mean, we've we've seen a horse in Toy Story, you know, how how Woody has that relationship. I would love to see that carried through and done with Mr. Toad. Yeah, I think that they could do a really good job with it. And I'm surprised that Disney hasn't done more with Mr. Toad, actually. Yeah. And I, I kind of got the feeling that maybe that was their original intention. Because, you know, obviously we've discussed that these movies ran back to back in the original theatrical release. But what is interesting about this is that I also said that I had just the Sleepy Hollow version told on VHS as a standalone with a different title. Mm. This movie was broken into two parts in 1955 Mm -hmm. as a part of the Disneyland television special. And they weren't released together again for many, many years. Right. They had been broken apart. And that's why a lot of people have the association with it being either one film or the other. They don't have the association with it being one movie. But regardless, I do agree. I think that they're kind of forgotten about. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame. Um, we got a huge week. It's only one movie to talk about in terms of our news, but it's been a tremendous week if you like Aladdin. Oh, yeah. Um, so first, Will Smith released the poster artwork. Uh, very simple, but very intriguing. It is the genie lamp. Um, I was I saw that and immediately I was like, oh my god, I wish we had a trailer. And then the a next day, day we got a teaser. We got a teaser. Um, I really am getting excited for this. What what I like about the the trailer because a trailer is a trailer. It's visual. Yeah, it looks cool. But what hooked me was that they took friend like me, and they almost made it sound creepy. Not creepy, but uh, mysterious. I feel yeah, that's like. probably the better word. That it was such a hook for me. Like immediately, I was just like, I want more. This was not enough. Yeah, and like, I don't. Can we go today? Can we go now? Yeah, <laughs> and I haven't gotten jazz like that on a movie in a long time. Like I, I was anxiously awaiting the Incredible sequel. I've been anxiously awaiting the Wreck It Ralph sequel. Um, Mary Poppins. 
I love the original. I am excited for the next one, but I'm not like, oh my God, I have to go see Emily Blunt's take on it. Um, really, even with Beauty and the Beast, I think because they promoted that for a year before it came out, that's what made me anxious was because I finally wanted the payoff because we had seen so much of it already. This one shot and I was like, I need to see this movie now. Right, and they're also, this one is coming out in May, so we don't have to sit on this one for quite as long as we had to sit on Beauty and the Beast. Right. But we are going to have a May release. Um, speaking of releases, uh, you can go back and listen to any of our shows on demand. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. We're happy to have you. Feel free to go ahead and catch up. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on iHeart. Tune in. Uh, Spotify. Podbean, it's very hard to miss us. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're constantly on there talking about something, posting something, and we love the interaction with you guys, the audience. And if you have family or friends that love these movies or if you love these movies and you think that other people are going to like it, you know, share the show and, and subscribe and like and get us reviews. You know, we want to hear from you. We want to spread the show. We want to have that really, really vast audience because this is such an incredible community, the Disney community, and we love talking about Disney films and we know that you guys do too so for jackie i'm sean have a magical week everyone on behalf of monoreal radio we'd like to thank you for joining us we'll see you at the movies the stuff dreams are made of <laughs>